Welcome to this episode of Revolution and Ideology. I am Nick. I'm Jared. And with us today is Dante Young. You might recognize him from such episodes as uh, Taoism and Anarchism, uh, Judas Sufism and the Black and Messiah. Am- yeah, yeah, Sufism and Anarchism. Yeah, he's been on uh, quite a few, actually. And he originally came on today. We were going to do an episode about Afro-surrealism. He reached out to us and wanted to do an episode on Afro-surrealism and Afro-futurism and things like that. And we were just basically chit-chatting before starting recording and realized that Dante has some pretty interesting experiences that we realized would make an interesting episode on their own. He recently got essentially tricked into kind of a job at a youth correction facility and has recently separated from that facility. And so this episode is basically us discussing what it was like for him as, you know, an abolitionist, a prison abolitionist to work essentially inside the quote unquote belly of the beast, right? Mm -hmm. Because some of the stories he has is really, really interesting. So without further ado, uh, Dante is basically just going to lead us through this one, telling some stories and kind of explaining what this experience was like, because it was super, super interesting. So here we go. All right, y'all. What's up? <clears throat> um, yeah, first of all, I I just want to say that <laughs> it was wild, especially like being an abolitionist, right? And being like bamboozled, like totally bamboozled and hoodwinked <laughs> into getting into like a, a, a position that I was in was a wild experience for me. Um, so like the... The first time, the first time I was actually trying to get into it, I was like contacting like so many people for like uh, letters of recommendation to get in there. Like I was excited. Like it, it was presented to me as like a youth service specialist, right? And I was going to be a like what they said in the description, right? Was like you're going to be like a mentor, a teacher, like a guidance person. And I'm like, hell yeah! Like that's my that's my jam. Like that's what I like to do, right? Um, so I go for the interview <laughs> and I drive up and I see the, fu- the biggest sign. It was like, it said something like, I'm paraphrasing, but it said something like, uh, do not aid in the escape of <laughs> a youth. Right. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I keep going and I go on the thing and I'm in the interview and they're like, yeah. So like, boom, boom, boom. This is a prison. This is a, 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 a juvenile detention center. Right. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And um, they was like, are you okay with that? I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> and um, so that's how it all started. So you had no prior knowledge of what they actually do at this place before you drove up for the uh, interview process? No. And honestly, like if I just did one singular Google search, <laughs> I probably would have figured it out. But I was broke. So I'm like, fuck it. Like, this is a good job. It was paying really well, right? And so, but I did not research the job at all. I was like, this is, it sounds like my type of stuff. So once you come to this, obviously, unholy realization, what was like, what was the interview like? Um, the interview was like, there was like, one of the questions I remember is like, how do you can take, how do you take control of the milieu, right? Like, I was like, take control of the milieu. Like, I would like, like, this is like, it's supposed to be a community, like a pod, right? So I'm like, we will share like the responsibilities on the pod and stuff like that. And they was like, yeah, but like, how would you actually like, 
be an authority figure. And I'm like, what? Like, what's up with these questions? Like, <laughs> I thought this is supposed to be like, we supposed to help these kids. Like, why am I like being like this fucking bearing down authority figure? Um, but essentially they was telling me, like asking me, how are you going to be a guard in this position? Right. Like, how are you going to ensure that these uh, youth, these kids um, are like stay in line, essentially? That's what they, I feel like that's what they was asking me. And I was just like, yeah, we're going to just like, like share power and like we're going to just like collaborate and stuff like that. They're like, yes, that's not what we're going for, essentially. So. Um, OK, so you're you're there. You need the money. You're maybe potentially like, is there some potential thought? I guess I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Is there a potential thought that maybe you can use this as a way, like a subversive way to kind of change the way things work? Is that why partially that you decided, hey, maybe I'm going to keep doing this even after the interview process? Yes. So and that, that's interesting. When I when I first got in there and I remember you telling me this a long time ago, like years ago, you was telling me like I want to become a like in the education system, right? The K through 12 system. And you were telling me like um, if you get into it, like you, you have to recognize that like this system is set in stone. So you're not going to really change like too much as far as like the curriculum, because you'll just get sucked into like the curriculum and stuff. Right. And. I remember that conversation, but still I'm like, fuck you, Jerry. Like, not fuck you, but like, you know what I mean? Like, like I could do that essentially, right? So I'm like, I'm gonna get in here. I'm gonna like not be like super like overbearing with the youth in there. And I'm gonna try to connect with them on like a literal, like a human type level, like on a, like a level, like I'm not above you, even though my job requires me to kind of be over you, right? Um, and that's what I came in it with. And I quickly found out that like the support for stuff like that, that I want to do was just not there. Yeah. Game makers that design games will never add in rules that allow that game to actually change. Like for you to stop playing the game, right? Like that's right. just the way it works. And then we have right. to ne negotiate over and over again, what my role is in this system. And that's tough. So that's the next question I have for you. Like, all right, you're in, you might think you can make some change from within. You also, of course, like we all have bills to pay. So you need to make some money. What was the training like? What 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 did you start to see the minute you started training? Okay. <laughs> so first of all, like I kind of did the training backwards, right? Like typically when you first become like a youth service specialist, first of all, that was the job title. Like that was my position. I was a youth service specialist, aka like a youth prison guard. Um and um so when we first when I first went into there, I was like on the pod immediately. Right. Like I got to like shadow people and stuff like that. And For those who don't know what, what you keep saying pod. And I actually like what is a pod? OK, a pod is essentially like this big ass like. Space, right. It's a space. They got like tables in the middle. Okay. It's like TVs okay. and stuff like that. Okay. And on the, on the walls are like where they're like uh, their rooms, their cells are. Right. Okay. So that's what a pod is. Okay. And it's, it's probably like like six pods there. Um, and when I, when I first was on the pod, they were like telling me all this stuff, like don't have your back against the, the youth. Like don't like keep, keep your head on the swivel. And I've heard all this shit from the military, right? Like keep your head on the swivel, all this type of stuff. And I'm like, why? Like they, like they, I don't feel like they would try anything and they never did. Um, and then they were telling me like, 
the youth have to ask to stand up if they want to get water, if they want to just go throw away some trash. They was like, you have to be on top of it. Like you have to, if they get up, you got to tell them to sit the fuck down, all this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I'm listening. And then when I get in there, the person I was training with, he was like very relaxed. Um, Mm -hmm. And he, he didn't, he didn't really uphold those rules as strictly as like other pods did. And he just let the, the youth walk around um, freely. Um, and so I was realizing that. Um, and he had a good relationship with them too. And I felt like that kind of made it made it sense to me, like how uh, he didn't treat them as if they were in prison, essentially what they were in. He didn't treat them like that. He treated them like they were just like living there essentially, right? Um, and, but when I had finally went to the um, the official training, we had to do like these techniques, like of like uh, redirection techniques, like putting people on the ground, handcuffing, all that stuff. I, I went through the whole training and it was wild. The stuff that they would say, they was like these kids, they will, they will like try you and everything. And, and I want to say this too. I'm not saying that that won't, that didn't happen. Right. Like I want to be like super transparent like that. I'm not gonna say that that, that stuff didn't happen because people had stories, but I wonder how the youth service specialist treated the kids prior to them having to get in handcuffs or them having to get to the ground, right? Like, because if you treat them like human beings, I feel like majority of the time they won't like do anything that will like harm like me or harm like any other kid, right? Um, so we learned all that training and they told us about like, uh, restorative justice <laughs> which was interesting they told us it was like non-violence it was like democracy um all these like tenets of what they call like what the system was trying to like categorize as social justice but it's interesting it was all for the the youth like we didn't have to reciprocate that as um mm-hmm. as youth service specialists right like we could be violent to them we didn't show any type of like uh democracy um we didn't have to right we didn't have to do any of that stuff and it was just odd to me that like we were taught these things and like techniques to um make sure that the youth were like when we did like when people did have to like put handcuffs on them and stuff like that we were taught techniques um in a way that they didn't get hurt but that training and actually, and the actual application of it was different. And I yeah, saw so it sounds like most systems in which like the the general population is socialized into believing into the hollowness of things like dem- democracy and restorative justice, but the state still holds that monopoly on violence. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a it is a hierarchy. It is a dictatorship, I should say, not even a, a hierarchy. There's a dictatorship here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're being socialized slowly. In this case, it's the I don't know what to call them, the youth. I, I, I might as well just call them inmates at this point in time. But the inmates well, are well, youth. I, I want to just, I don't, I don't mean to say that, but like, so in like abolition, like circles, uh, we try not to say inmates, we say incarcerated people. 
Okay, incarcerated people. Thank you for the correction. So these incarcerated people, I mean, they're socialized into like, this is what you're going to do for us. But like, as you just said perfectly, it's not reciprocated on the end of the state or on the end of the authority figures at this point. And so this is kind of like an interesting microcosm of how literally all of society works, right? We're socialized into the the fact that we have to play by very different rules by those in positions of power. And we can see it even here. So that's super interesting. Oh, man. Um, you'd also mentioned a little bit, like as you're going through this training that you started to see signs of, um, inherent racism, um, at this facility. Yes. Um, and it's why it, like, first of all, it's wild because a lot of the, well, one woman in particular was just like super fucking racist. And apparently she had like a black husband or something, which she always gave the excuse of like, well, my husband is black, so I can say certain stuff, right? And I'm just like, what? Like, I, I, I challenged her a little bit, I, and this is my fault. I should, I should have like pressed the issue more, but like, she was my supervisor, so I kind of felt like that. Like, I don't know, I felt a little iffy about it, but I'd like, I would like always like say like, yeah, but like, should we not? Should we say stuff like that, right? So it was two um, black youth in there, and. She will always like, and they were like friends, right? And she will always call them like uh, darkness and midnight, right? Every time when she, uh, she like darkness and midnight, come over here. And I'm like, like what? And they would respond to that, right? Um, because like the pressure of having to respond to that. Um, and I was, I, I, I asked her like, why, like, why do you call them that? She was like, oh, it's this thing that I seen off this comedy show or something. And I thought it was funny, right? So she called the kids that and um, she would always like make like little racist like comments about like, yeah, like when you get out of here, you might you are going to probably end up in back in jail and stuff like that, like in like big prison, like they were in juvenile prison. So she was like, yeah, y'all going to end up in juvenile prison and I won't be surprised if y'all go back, essentially. Right. Um and it's funny shit yeah uh it's it's not funny it's interesting because um like it was majority like hispanic people in there like uh, latin that's what i was going to ask is she making these types of comments towards either white or latin x um incarcerated people i don't know yeah she she did she did both she did both she uh cuz it was the my pot was predominantly made up of like uh Latino yeah. uh, young men in there. And uh, we had like three black kids that was in there, black young men in there. And uh, she would make comments like that a lot. And I remember when I first started training with her, like she didn't talk to me at all. Like, and she's supposed to be the one training me, right? So like, I'm just here sitting here and like, she's just like not acknowledging me at all. And it just, it felt weird. It felt weird, y'all. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, and it's, it's weird because like I know like our supervisors above her heard the stuff that she was saying. They seen the way that she was treating the youth in there, but like nobody said nothing. And right. And I'm a like come for myself a little bit. I didn't either. Right. And I feel like that's how. Mm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's how like these systems continue to happen because we get complicit in this shit, right? Like we get complicit in like fucking 
like the racism and oppression and like a person like me who was like, fuck this shit. Even I didn't really press the issue at like I should have. Right. Um, so like that makes me feel some type of way. Um, well, I think it just illustrates, right. The complexities of like power dynamics in a situation like this, right? Like whose responsibility is it to speak out? Right. And there's so many different, just complex things going on that like it's so difficult. Right. Yeah. And like, clearly your supervisor, supervisor is the one that should be on top of all of it. But in this kind of situation, like that's not always the case. In fact, it's probably rarely the case. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, it was it was just and it was this one lady who um, she was like in and out of the. um, The the like adult prison system. Mm-hmm. And she finally came to like the uh, the youth prison system, and she was like, "It's so much easier," and whatever. Like you know, she was saying all that stuff. And but before she did that, she was also working with like ICE detention centers. And what kind of just and it it kind of made me a little like sad because like a lot of the the youth in there were like uh, Latino young men, and she was a Latina woman. And like her, um, the comments that she made were a little like, like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was, it was wild. Like her comments on everything. But yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even that's not unusual. I mean, historically speaking, I'll throw just a little bit of history in here. Oftentimes when we have these systems of oppression, they always do get individuals that are part of the marginalized community to help with that oppression, right? Like that's a historical thing that we've seen over and over again, whether we're talking about plantations and overseers, whether we're talking about, um, shoot, we could talk about like, uh, um, um, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on what my next example was going to be, but I think you guys kind of infer what I was going to say. I was about to bring mm-hmm. in some other stuff regarding like First Nations and things along those lines, um, even sometimes the internment camps um, during World War II. There's numerous examples of this, and and I don't want to get into like the philosophy or sociology. I want to get back to the interview, but I guess what I'm saying is it's not unusual for systems of power to take people from like the the marginalized communities and use them as their 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 enforcers, so to speak. Yes, mm-hmm. and I want to li- I want to speak on that for a minute because a lot of the uh youth service specialists were like white and they slowly start to trickle them out either because they quit or because of whatever reason right and i've when i was there i seen like so many like particularly black people that got hired in since i've been there and the youth were more likely to engage with us right Mm -hmm. and they were more likely to listen to us right and i feel like that was intentional right Mm -hmm. i feel like that was intentional because they was like oh these and and i will say this too like it probably has to do with like the racism that some of the white people because i heard this one white dude he was like big and buff and he would just say wild shit about the youth too and i feel like they just they knew that the white people were would be like super antagonistic to the uh to the youth in there and they and some of the youth just didn't respond to like that antagonist like you know being antagonized like that so they would like buck back a little bit like who wouldn't mm-hmm. <laughs> right. um uh so i feel like in order to like suppress and they had like right like 
riots and not, not in my facility, but like in other facilities, I talked to some of the youth, they would have like riots because um, one of the uh, Latino young men was telling me that they weren't even allowed to speak Spanish. And that happened to me. First of all, my supervisor said that like they would, they would watch like, I don't know, like uh, one of the shows that 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 they would watch. And it was like they spoke Spanish in the show. And she was like, you got to turn this off because I can't understand that. I'm like, fuck you. Like I was thinking like, and, and, and mind you, I didn't say anything. And that just still bothers me. But like and I was just like. It like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so this is this is really reminiscent of the turn of the 20th century like boarding schools and the forced mm-hmm. assimilation through like low-key attempts at like eugenics and ethnic cleansing right and mm-hmm. one of the ways that you can erase um erase a people in one way shape or form if it's not through like whatever like some very violent means the other way is to erase their culture and their language and those types of things and that's that's clearly what they're after here um Mm -hmm. and and definitely we've got we've we've seen numerous horror stories from like ice facilities and we can't none of us can speak to those we've never worked at, at those types of facilities but this sounds very like eerily similar to some of the things that the stories that are being leaked out of those facilities as well Mm -hmm. Um, what was turnover like for like people in (laughs) your position there it was the it was high it was super high and i think it has a lot to do with the fact that they were lying to people Mm -hmm. um before when they first came in and also i feel like when people so many people that came in they had intentions of um like supporting the kids, like being like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's truly supporting the kids is what mm-hmm. we were thought we were going to do. Right. And when you find out that you're not really there to support those, uh, the youth there, they would, uh, like they would quit mm-hmm. or they would get fired. Like a lot, actually a lot of people quit. I, I don't think anybody got fired that since I've been there. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people quit. And I think like at least four people quit since I've been, I was only there for four months. So in those four months, you'd mentioned that you slowly got to the point where you decided that you were going to resist indoctrination. Speak on that for a little bit. For yeah. us. What, what did you mean by that? At least in our like kind of preliminary discussion on this. Right. Um, so I remember the first time like I was on the pod, like I think it was literally the first day uh, we were in the, um, the gym and I, I seen some kids, uh, some some of youth doing like pull ups. And I had just went over there because I was in the Marine Corps and I, I was like, oh, pull ups. I, I could talk to them about that. <laughs> and like I went over there and talked to him. I was like, yeah, what y'all doing? I was like, we doing pull ups. I'm like, OK. And they was talking, talking about me. He was like, yeah, like, fuck. I was like, I said something along the lines of like, this place is fucking garbage, ain't it? Or something. It was like and they looked at me and they were like, like, yeah, like, obviously. <laughs> and um, I was like, yeah, like and we started we just started talking about like. Uh, how, like who, like what I am, right? I was, I was telling them, like I was telling them a little bit about myself, and was like how I don't believe in prisons, I don't believe in police, and yet I'm in here. And I was telling them how I got like tricked into it, and I was telling them that like I, I'm not gonna try to like be the guard that y'all know, that y'all have known for like however many years y'all been in here, how many months years y'all been in here, and. One of the kids I was talking to, he was telling me that like, like later after that moment, he was like, Mr. Young, 
you know, like that first moment when you came up to us that day, like I knew you wasn't like a fucking guard. Cause like, I, I, he was like, you, you didn't talk like one. You didn't like your whole demeanor, like the way you came up to us wasn't like odd. And I was like, oh yeah, because like, I don't give a fuck about this shit. And he was like, yeah, but that meant a lot because like a lot of people, <laughs> when they come in here, they, they want to be like, like bulldogs is what he essentially mm-hmm. said. Like they, they want to be like aggressive off the jump. And he was like, you didn't come to, you came up to that and like tried to have a conversation with us. And uh, he was like, and that was cool. And I was like, that's why I fucked with you. He was like, that's why I fuck with you like that. Cause like mm-hmm. uh, you didn't try to like puff your chest up when you came to talk to us. Um, so that was the first thing. And I didn't know that until like later on that he felt that way. Um, but I would bring in like, so, and he, the same kid told me that like, um, he was like interested in like Malcolm X and he was interested in like, uh, um, Cesar Chavez and stuff like that. And they weren't allowed to read from those people. And I was like, Oh, interesting. <laughs> I was like, interesting. So was there like, there like a list of books they weren't allowed or what? I, I never seen a list. I never seen a list, but I know that when, we had to do room searches. We, would ha- we They told us that, like, if you see any, um, like, books that weren't, um, like, novels, essentially, like, if it was, like, a biography or anything like right. that, you had to confiscate it because that's considered contraband. Um, so they weren't allowed to have, like, certain books in there. And I don't know the list, but I'm pretty sure it existed, but I didn't see a list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that even kind of shows me a little bit, like, was it really like, is that really a, a rule, right. right? Is that really a rule that like they can have certain books or is the, are, are they just saying that just to like stifle like dissent or resistance or something? I don't fucking know. Well, they- yeah, it's control over the production of knowledge. You mm-hmm. want, of course, the oppressed class to be like whatever, uneducated. You want them only to have the knowledge that you deem appropriate, which is usually knowledge of systems of power that rationalize or justify the systems of power that they exist within. They rationalize socioeconomic inequality. They rationalize racism. They rationalize why usually it's white privileged males that are running. Things. Like we've done this over, you know, this just as well as I do at this point. You've got, you did, you, you've done all of the dirty work in education. Um, in fact, you were trying to educate. Um, so uh, it's, it, you mentioned that you were trying to get some books in there. Like, yeah, yeah, I had got, I had brought so many books. I was like, I asked the kids, I was like, what y'all want? Like, <laughs> I was like, what do y'all want to read? Like, because I, I bring that shit. And he was like, yeah, like if you can get this, uh, um, the biography of Malcolm X, I would like that. I'm like, okay, chat, I'll get that in there. And, um, he was like, if you can get like a book about like Cesar Chavez, I was like, got you. I'm gonna fucking find some shit. I'll get that in there, and and then some of, some of the uh, kids wanted like uh, just like regular ass books, like like um, novels, like nonfiction or yeah. like fiction novels, I should say, right? Mm-hmm. And that was cool too. And I brought the, I brought that in there, yeah. um, but it was interesting too um, because on my journey when I went to Barnes and Noble, I found that there is. From in the store, anyway, there is a lack of like Latine novels. And I was like, wow, like I, th- that blew my mind. I was like, shit, like I can barely. So I had to order them. Um, I had to order, order them through um, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble and had them shipped there and stuff like that. And I'm like, wow, that was just interesting to see like the lack of like um, the Latinx 
yeah. community being represented in the Barnes and Noble bookstore. And that was the first time like I had to like realize that, like when, cause mm-hmm. you know, a majority of the youth that was in there and my, on my pot at least were Latino young men. So I tried to get books that were like, you know, yeah, um, like that. And so I brought them in and they would just read them. Sometimes I was like, I was like, yeah. And if you read this, uh, if you got a conversation, if you want to have a conversation, like, let's talk about it. I'm like, I love this shit. I brought in like uh, becoming abolitionists <laughs> from uh, Derricka Parnell. I brought in um, uh, this book about like solitary confinement um, and how it impacts your mental health. I brought in a book about uh, uh the Chicano movement and it, like they like, first of all they loved that book and I was I was happy as fuck they fucking loved that book I was like hell yeah and because they would pass it around to each other I was like yeah just, but make sure like y'all just don't read it out in the open right just pass it around and they they, they loved that book they was like this is a good ass book Mr. Young I was like hell yeah <laughs> um and uh, um and one of the the kids the one who I was telling you before he would come to me and be like, uh, so like, Mr. Young, like you a sociologist and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah. So like, how do you like, he would just ask me so many questions about it. Cause he was interested in it. Right. And I would just, we would just have like conversations, our conversations, playing chess and stuff like that. And, um, it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was wild. And they, appre- I feel like they, they really, they didn't have that. Right. They didn't have somebody who was a youth service specialist to bring in shit like that. And I don't know. I was, I was happy to fucking do it. I'll do it again. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this was, was this one of, I, I think you had mentioned earlier that this is one of the last straws though, that eventually led to your departure from this facility. Um, talk to us about, about basically ending your relationship with this facility. Yeah. So um, we had to have like a uh, clear bags coming into the, into the facility. And one time I I had, I had the books. I didn't really like care. I had the books like not hidden. So I had them and I actually saw them. And it was like, Oh, you know, you're not supposed to bring these types of books in here or just books in general in the facility. And I'm like, Oh, do y'all want to check them? Like y'all can check them if y'all want to make sure there's nothing in there, blah, 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 whatever. And it's like, yeah, we do want to check them, but like, that's not the point. Like, we don't want you bringing books in. I'm like, why not? It's like, cause they're not supposed to have it. They got their own little library. And I was explaining to them, like they read the books that they wanted to read in that library, like over and over again. They want something fresh. They want something new. Um, and so they was like, yeah, but like, if you want, you can do like trips to the library and you can do that. And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. But they didn't, they didn't want them to learn like different stuff. So that was the, that was actually the first straw. And I was like, yeah, but like, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to do what y'all essentially hired me to do. <laughs> y'all hired me essentially to be like, well, they hired me to be a guard, but like the description was like, be a teacher, be a mentor, all that stuff. And I was trying to do that. And I was like, I felt unsupported in doing that. So like, yeah, I'm gonna put in my two weeks. And, and then one other, like the big supervisors, he was like, uh, yeah, he it, it was pointed towards me in our like group meetings. He was like, "Yeah, if y'all don't care about the programming, we had this we have this programming for a reason, blah blah blah." And if you don't like it, you can leave. And I was like, "Bet." <laughs> I was like, "Bet." <laughs> and so I put in I literally put in my two weeks that day. And 
out of nowhere, he came back and some other uh, employees came back. They was like, Mr. Young, you good. Like, stay in. Like, we're going to change. We're going to support you and stuff like that. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll stay. And then before I, well, I want to go back a little bit um, because when I said that, I was telling the kids, I'll, I'll put in my two weeks. And I had, and it's weird because we did have like a little mentorship too, right? Like I had my one, they call it a one-on-one. And um, he was like, Missy, I'm not mad at you. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I was like, why? He was like, because you was the only motherfucker in here who like gave a damn about us. Like you brought us shit. You like talked to us like we ain't fucking stupid, all this stuff. And he was like, I'm not, if I got to get another one-on-one, like I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm going to ignore that motherfucker and I'm going to do all this shit. And I'm like, fuck. So I had conversations with a lot of the youth in there and I was like, and it was a combination of all of that. It was a combination of having conversations with them, having conversations with like my like um, coworkers and stuff. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to stay. So I stay. And for a minute, for a time, I was like, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I was getting a little support. And then um, the thing that really broke it was it was a fight that broke out. And I knew it was brewing for a minute. And I was in conversation with one of the, the youth that was thinking about fighting somebody. And he was like, Mr. Young, I want to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, OK, well, don't like if you want if you need to, let's go outside. Let's take a walk. Let's do whatever. And. I, had, I was outside at the time um, talking to some kids and all of a sudden I hear some shit, some noise from inside the pod. And I'm like, what's going on? And they like, and and the kid, he was yelling and stuff and all that stuff. And my one coworker, she was like, uh, don't worry about it. I got it. They're just being petty or they're doing whatever. And I'm like, and I'm like, no, let me talk to him. And she was like, no, I got it. I got it. And I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I'm thinking she got it. Right. Um, and then they end up fighting. And uh, I'm trying to, like, separate the kids. Like, I was, like, holding the kid back, trying to make sure that he wouldn't get to the other kid. And she was just yelling at me. Like, I'm trying to, I was like, I'm trying to, like, make sure the fight don't break out, right? And she was yelling at me, like, put him on his fucking face. Like, she kept saying that over and over and over again. I'm just like, I, I want to say shut up, but I was too preoccupied. Like, in my head, I probably was screaming at she like, shut up. Um but she was like yelling, like, put him on his fucking face, put him on his fucking face. Like, why aren't you putting him on his fucking face? And then finally we had some people had came in. It was a cold red card. And that's when like it's a fight. Right. Um, and finally that happened. And, you know, the, the, the kid was put on the ground. And I was pissed. I was pissed that whole day. And I was I sat down because we, we had to have like a conversation with everybody um, about what happened, like how they felt, if they were OK and stuff like that. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> I was like, I'm pissed. Um, first of all, I was slightly disappointed that they were fighting. <laughs> uh, because, and the only reason why I was slightly disappointed was because I know what was going to happen. I was, I, since my time now, I'm like, just try to do, like, don't get into no trouble because they will not hesitate to fuck y'all up. Right? They won't hesitate to do that. And I was a little pissed that that happened because he did end up getting like put on the ground and stuff like that. But I was pissed and I was like, uh, I refucking fuse. I was like, I refuse to put y'all on the fucking ground. I was, I was, I wasn't crying when I said it, but like, 
I was like, I refuse to put you on the fucking ground because that's not something that I want to do. That's not who I am, right? And I was like, I was pissed. And they was and, and the fucking and the lady, she was giving me the side eye, like, what? And she was a previous like military police officer or whatever. So obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh and I had a whole speech. I, I couldn't even tell you because it was just like out of <laughs> it was just out of like a lot of emotions that because I can't recall what I was saying, but I was just, I know I said that for a fact. And then the day come, no, I'm, I, I want to tell you the whole story. The later that day, I was asking some of the kids, right? Like, do y'all, ex, did y'all, what I, I was asking them, should I have put him on the ground? And they, were like, yeah, that's your job. And that hurt me a little bit. Uh, that hurt me a little bit. And so the next day, I, I was working a double and I would I was on the first shift with this one kid who had gotten into a fight when I was off, um, when I was off, I wasn't working. And it's funny about that real quick. Um they coordinated that. They was like, yeah, we're not going to fight with Mr. Young here. <laughs> they were like, we're not going to fight with Mr. Young here. And I'm like, fuck, but just don't fight in general. But like, cool, I guess, but just don't fight in general. Um, but so he got into a fight um, the day pre or like a week previously. And I was um, in the intake. And that's essentially where they had the youth that were like troublemakers. They did something bad. It was kind of like solitary confinement. <laughs> like it was literally solitary confinement. Um because they weren't allowed to come out their room. They weren't allowed to like look outside the window. They weren't allowed to do shit. Like they, we had it was a magnet placed on their window so that they couldn't even see like outside of the door. Um but when I was there I was like fuck it like come on come on <laughs> like he would he, he would he would be like by his uh his door and we we was talking the whole fucking day. And this was a kid this was the kid. He was the most like fucking. He didn't give a fuck. He didn't give a fuck. Like he was in. He was. He was like affiliated with like gang stuff and stuff like that. And um, and he was a little difficult. Like I'm not gonna lie. He was a little difficult to like. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, I, I, I want to choose my words correctly. He was difficult to like communicate with when you're trying to like make him do certain stuff, right? Um. But when I was working with him that day, it was my last day, we had a conversation about everything and how he was in the gang for survival. He was in the gang because he felt like that's what he had to do. That was the only option. And we was talking about all the time. We was talking about ghosts, like how I'm terrified of ghosts and how he believed in shit like that. Like we had a like eight hours of us just talking. And before that, like... um he would do like he would do like gang signs in the fucking pie, and that's not allowed, right? Like, and that's a major rule violation. So I'm like, I was telling him, I was telling him like, uh, <laughs> it's funny. I was telling him like, if you want to get away with it, and this might be a little problematic, but I was like, learn sign language, right? So if you like, and I gave him like um, this sign, like this paper full of like. Uh, 
how you sign like words and stuff like that. And like, if you want to do that, like learn sign language because like you got the fingers for it or whatever, I, whatever I said, like you got those gestures. And um, the next day I gave him that paper. He came back to me. He was signing like his name and like hi and stuff like that. And I was, I was like, fuck, like, damn. Cause he was hesitant. He was like, oh, I don't want to do that shit. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna give it to you. Here's this paper. And he was doing it, right? He was learning sign language. And uh, that day we was having that conversation. He was like, yeah, I appreciated that. Um, He was like, I appreciated that because like, like I kind of, I was like, I kind of learned a new language. I'm like, you fucking did learn a new language, right? Like you did. And I'm like, you should be, you should continue that if you want, right? And he was like, yeah, I appreciate that, Mr. Young. He was like, that was cool. Like, I, I didn't want to do it at first, but it's not, it's not bad. Learn like sign language, that's cool. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and um, so we had that whole last conversation for like eight hours about all types of shit. And um, I had to go for my second shift and I got called on the radio and it was like, uh, Mr. Young, can you come to the fucking supervisor's office um, when you get done in intake? And I was like, okay, cool. I had a feeling it was going to be about the fight that happened the day prior. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And I went in there and my, the, the, my coworker that was in there, she was working or she was in there and they had a mediation with me um, telling me that what I did was wrong. They was telling me that like, uh, so she was telling me that she was like, yeah, like I was telling you to like put the, um, the, the kid on the ground and you just didn't do it. And then afterwards you had like this fucking explosive speech about how you want to do that. And I just feel like concerned. I feel like concerned, like for my safety and for the safety of the kids. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> yeah, you absolutely fucking right. I'm not going to put a, a kid on, the fa- on, on, on their face. And I said that to everybody. I was like, hey, I'm not going to do it. And she was like, well, that's your job. And then the, my supervisor was like, yeah, that's your job. You have to do that. They're like, I get that. <laughs> I get that you require that of me, but I won't do it. And I was like, and you know what you can do if I don't do it, right? You have options. <laughs> you have options. You either keep me and I keep doing what I do, or you don't keep me and, you know what I'm saying, uh, you know, whatever. And they they was like, yeah, but we're going to have to have a deeper conversation about, like, how you, like, do this. I'm like, in what moment have I ever not kept these kids safe or myself safe or the people that I work with safe, Right. Never have I ever done that because it was a fight that was about to happen against a, a youth and an officer or, or a, yeah, a, a correctional officer. And I broke that up, too. Right. Um, and it, it was it didn't have to escalate or nothing. So, like, I wasn't trying to have anybody hurt. Right? I don't care who it was. I didn't want nobody to get hurt. So I was confused. I was like, I didn't have to put that kid down just to make him stop. Right. I didn't have to do that. So, like. Why is that the only fucking way that y'all require me to like, I can't talk to the to the person. I can't like walk with the person. You know what I mean? There's other ways besides that. And they was like, yeah, but that's, if it's a cold red that gets called, you gotta do that. And I'm like, okay. So we got done to mediation and I was like, yeah, before I go on the pod, I wanna smoke a cigarette. Cause I was stressed the fuck out after that conversation. And besides, I just, you know, I'm a smoker, so I'm addicted. Um, so I went to go smoke a cigarette. And I was thinking, like, this place, in order for me to be here, they require me to 
be violent against kids. <laughs> they require they require me to be violent against kids, and they want to preach nonviolence, right? But we are the only one allowed to enact that violence, and it was odd to me. Um, so I, I smoked my cigarette. I went back in. I went in the pod and I was like, all right, y'all, this is my last day. The kids were like, what the fuck? What the fuck, Mr. Young? What are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Like, I got to go. And they was like, what the fuck? And they started crying around me. And they, like, my supervisor was around. Everybody was around. And they was like, sit down, sit down. They ain't listen to shit. They, ain't listen. they was like, and they was like, what the fuck, Mr. Young? And they, they was looking at me. And one, he was like, Mr. Young, I understand. And he gave me a five. He gave me a hug. And then my one one on one, he was he he was pissed. He was like, "All right, Mr. Young," and like like very like he was pissed, right? He like, "All right, Mr. Young," and he was he was he was just sitting down. And then he finally had uh, fuck. He finally had got up. And he gave me like a hug and stuff. And um, and the reason why that hurt me a little bit is because like a couple like a week. A week in, in advance, I was supposed to go to like his staffing. I was supposed to go to his fucking staffing, and that's where like and that's where like you <clears throat> that's where you like uh talk to like like parole officer or something to tell them how good they've been doing and shit like that. And he was doing good. Like he trying to become a plumber when he get out and all this type of good shit, right? And I was like, I was like, fuck, I'm going to be there. I'm going to fucking be there. And the fact that I wasn't, it kind of hurt me a little bit. <laughs> because I don't know whoever he has next, if they knew what type of person he was, right? Um, and I feel bad about that. I feel bad about that. And... But then the fact that he was like, he was pissed. But then at the end, he was like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you a hug, right? And I just, I appreciated that. I love, I, like, I love them kids, right? Like, they was good fucking kids. <coughs> it was good fucking kids. But they were just presented with just like, just like shitty conditions based off of like racism and fucking like poverty and shit like that that they, did like stupid shit essentially to like survive. They were not bad kids, like none of them. And it's just shitty. It's shitty. And I left. And I left. <laughs> I left. And I feel a little better. Because I, I know me and I know that I wouldn't have been because I, I came like you see me, y'all see me cry right now. I will come home for two months straight crying. Like, this shit is fucked up. Like, how are we letting this shit go? Um, how am I letting this shit go? And that's... <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. And that's the fucking thing that kind of pissed me off. Like, I get it. Like, I can't, like, stop this fucking... The prison industrial complex, right? But, like, the shit that I could have done in there, I didn't. And the shit that I did do, I did. But... I had to go. <laughs> Long story short, I had to fucking go. Long story boring. I don't fucking know. That's not boring by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I think that it just, yeah. 
illuminates the fact that the system at every level is designed to make it impossible for any one individual who actually wants to do good and change it from the inside. It's just impossible. Absolutely impossible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's fully intentional. It's not an yeah. accident, right? So that leads me to the last question I wanted to ask you about this experience. How did this experience further inform or frame your abolitionist, your abolitionist perspective? Um, I mean, I think it's inferred. I think obviously like our listeners, our viewers are, are going to be able to infer, but, but you're the sociologist, you're an educator. You've also now worked in the system for four months. How did this further frame your, your, your views on abolition of the prison, of the prison system and the mass incarceration systems? Yes. If it, it, it further like strengthened it, like it gave me no other reason, but to say like, we got to dismantle this shit and like, like truly, like we, it, it cannot be reformed, right? Because even when they say like prison reform, right? Specifically, I want to talk about prison reform. They had like words, like um, theories that like abolitionists, abolitionists use, like uh, what was it? Um, fuck, not transformative justice, but restorative justice. They used those terms in that prison. I'm like. Y'all ain't doing this. So it's interesting how even like the system will co-op certain um, frameworks to be more palatable. Right. And they had me. And I'm going to be completely honest. They had me. And I was telling the kids this, too. I was like, I'm a more palatable fucking prison guard. And that's the issue. And that's literally the issue. Right. Because and I, I like I was a more like gentler prison guard. And that is the fucked up piece about it. Because no matter how you think about it, I was restricting their autonomy. I was restricting their freedom. I was restricting their healing. I was restricting their growth, right? The prison doesn't do that. Prison system don't fucking do that. And the fact that we wanna use the like prison reform and use these like words about like restorative justice and transformative justice. But when you get in these motherfucking places, none of that shit happens. It's just words to appease like liberals or just not want to say just liberals, anybody who believes in prison. Right. Just to appease them, make them feel better. Like, oh, we're doing prison is not that bad. It's fucked up. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's no, I mean, it is. it is. It is appeasement. It is appeasement for those that want some sort of rationale and live in, in this cognitively dissonant world. Obviously, the other side of the political spectrums as we've discussed on this podcast before what we would argue just kind of morally bankrupt or at least flexible. So they, they're not going to care, but it is, this is appeasement for those people that want to feel like they're doing something to slowly, but surely reform or improve when in reality, it's merely just the same system under a different name with different terminology. Um, so anything else that you want to like share, I mean, about, about this experience. Um, I want to say that like one of the things that I think that like is really important is to not look at incarcerated people as if they're inherently bad. I think that's one of the things that I want to really highlight. Um, also, we need to abolish prisons. <laughs> we need to abolish. Um, I forget what it, it's called. Restitution. We need to fucking abolish restitution because 
I know so many people in there that have millions of dollars that they have to pay back in restitution. Mm. And a lot of it, from what I was hearing, was did not go to like the people that they harmed. A lot of it went to like this system, right? And then they were they were counseled to like uh take out loans to pay for the restitution. And if they don't pay the restitution, they can end up back in prison, right? So just keeping people in cycles of poverty and in cycles of the prison pipeline. So that- yeah, Especially yeah. at a young age too, and I want to say that they were like they're like the oldest you can be in there was like twenty one, so the youngest you can be was twelve or something. And like I had knew a fifteen year old who had millions of dollars of restitution. We need to abolish that shit. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like that is is by far one of um, humanity's oldest forms of social control for sure, mm-hmm. manufacture of debt. So definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thank you so much for sharing like the, what, what had to be like, I mean, obviously it was very difficult um, reliving like those last four years. I think one of the things that I've noticed now also that I actually hadn't taken into account is, you know, obviously this is kind of our job. We research these types of things. We're aware of what goes on in the system regarding um, like the um, incarcerated people. Um, the system, the socialization, the indoctrination, um, solitary confinement. We're aware of all these things, the cost on taxpayers, et cetera. What you've done, though, is also humanize the side and the trauma that those that are in the enforcers in this case that are kind of forced to make these moral and ethical compromises. I'm going to be blunt. I hadn't necessarily fully considered that before just talking to you for these last whatever, 45, 50 minutes or whatever we've been we've been on for. So so I'm grateful. I mean, and I think that's honestly like way overlooked. Um, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, Nick? for sure. I want to echo that as well. That it, it humanizes the entire the entire cycle, right? Like every level yeah. and every stage and like what that looks like, which I think is necessary for sure if to achieve any kind of progress in making the system better in any way, right? So, yeah, I just want to say, like, Jared, you know, thank you so much to Dante for being willing to share this experience with us and our listeners and viewers to just have, you know, a firsthand account of just a very, very small and short experience of what, you know, that side of that specific facility, you know, was, which clearly tells us a lot about how the entire system operates for sure. And I promise everyone that we are still going to do the Afro surrealism and Afro futurism <laughs> yes. episodes that Dante originally came to us for. We're all super passionate about talking about those things. Um, and so Dante will guide us on those episodes in the very, very near future. Uh, so yeah, thank you again to Dante. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later. <laughs>